from our latest publication on sociality and idiocy and this first one is with the writer Madeline Stack um, with like about her piece is three possible the two ever exist Madeline is an artist and writer her work's been published in BOM AQMB and other gays salt recent pub- exhibitions and performances include the mouth takes a bite of this cruel summer at Lux Moving Image, How You Still Clean at the Institute, at the ICA, and uh, Fatal Softness at the Copal Project. We're really honoured to work with that. Um, this is a conversation that was recorded back in December of 2018. Um, at the point at which we spoke to Madeline, it was in a... It, it was still being edited as a piece. Um, Madeline was still working on it, so the conversation is very much a kind of um, reflects that the ideas are still quite live as they're being spoken about. It's kind of like the conversation almost functions like an, like a, it's part of the editorial process in some ways. Mm. Um, I'm just conscious that there's also a sound in the background, which is a screen printing studio just a few oh, doors down. <laughs> there, uh, so if you hear that, that's... That's um, screen printing. Well, that's like, you know how you have to, like, spray a hose oh, over the, the screen yeah, yeah, to get yeah. the um, paint off it? Sounds like a trombone. Yeah, it does. Like an out-of-tune trombone. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very musical block of studios, this. There's a violinist, so a few stores down, he's practicing. We've just watched a man made out of tin cans play the drum. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. And that's some free-form screaming. Yeah. This is, there's going to be some really enjoyable background sounds to this recording. To this little interest. So, um, um, you lucky, lucky people. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in the conversation we refer to notes, which is like the first stage of uh, feedback from me and Sam uh, about the text with Madeline as it's uh, in the latter stages of development. And we spoke about... Uh, the main kind of topic in her text, which is mostly based on her own experiences of being, as she calls, being in a three. Um, it's also composed of... Both in terms of the overlaps of um, yeah. romantic and artistic relationships. Yeah. Um, and it's also a, 
a lot of the text is composed of the ex, uh, like conversations with those who have also been also have experiences of being in a three, um, and that in itself opened many other questions that are kind of framed in the text. So um, we talk about uh, the idea of ethical non-monogamy being uh, just a falsehood, a lie. Um, the role of the third, yeah, for the two as a window. So that that role that that third person may provide or give to the couple. Um, counter the, uh, the kind of like counter hegemonic nature of threes being accepted by, acknowledged by the state or not, mm-hmm. um, and failure, and failure's place within relationships, yeah. how it frames and can reframe relationships. Yeah. We really hope you enjoy the recording yeah. and the conversation, um, and go buy the book. Yeah, so this is one of six essays in on sociality and the idiocy. Um, the book is on general sale now, and you can get it from our website. Doggerland.info. Doggerland.info. Um, it's in print, uh, but you can also stick it on your Kindle for a third of the price. And then a third of the third of the price, you can just download the PDF and just have it on your computer. You can print it out. What's so, what is it? Do we do it as a mod? Like a mode? A mo- I didn't even know this. <laughs> this is news to me. I thought it was just PDF. <laughs> People can put it on their Kindle. But so you can download like a dot Moby, Moby, There's a Moby yeah. file. There's a Moby, Moby file. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, We've been genuinely blown away by both people's response to the book. Um, it's been really heartwarming to mm-hmm. see people buying it. I like actually buying it, mm. you know. Obviously, you don't ever really know mm. <laughs> that people. You make a thing, you put it into the world, and you hope that it's people will in, like it as much as you like it. Mm. And um, it's been really heartwarming to see that people seem to be responding to to these pieces, these um, essays that we've commissioned. And yeah. that's that's great because that's that's as as much as you could ever hope for. Um, yeah, so thank you. And thanks to Madeline for chatting with us. Yeah. Um, the conversation starts where we just um, chat where she's based in Barcelona and some of her practice aside from writing and how that uh, kind of overlaps with some of the stuff that she writes about in the essay. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Bye. Since April, I moved here. So last December, this time a year ago, I left London. And then I was like traveling for those months. And then I came here in April. So, yeah, it's not been very long, but I think it's a good decision. Yeah. Yeah. What, what like, um, why Barcelona? Well, I am from Australia. And then I lived in New York 
for a while and then came to London to do a master's. So then I finished that and I was like, I want to stay in Europe, but I'm very cold and I don't have any money and the usual London problems. (laughs) And a lot of my friends were leaving London as well, like people who were from other parts of Europe. I had some friends here and I really liked it every time I came. Like I like being by the sea and having a kind of slower pace of life. So I came here and then, yeah, my partner moved also from London like six months later. So that was nice also. (laughs) I was very persuasive about how nice it was here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you're like selling it. Yeah, I, I recommend it. I'm trying to like just draw everybody like down to the south of Europe. <laughs> like fuck Brexit, just like yeah, right. exit, exit before Brexit. Yeah. <laughs> Go to the sea. Brexit isn't happening anyway. <laughs> yeah, I know. After all that, after all that excitement. <laughs> we probably won't even like air this until after March the 29th. And, uh, that would be a completely redundant comment. Exactly. Right? <laughs> the apocalypse will have already yeah, happened by I then. Retract, so... I redact that. Story. It'll be like an archival document of what. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the naive optimism of like, British citizens. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think I saw your MFA show, actually, at Goldsmiths, without sort of realising until quite recently. Mm, it was, yeah, 2017. It was last year, yeah, 2017. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. I remember the the kind of resin-type sculptures and the bugs. Yeah, yeah. So you have, like various sides to your practice in, in terms of performing writing yeah and... yeah and I've never quite managed to like congeal everything into a whole so I end up just doing different things at different times but yeah last year was all about sculpture and this year it turned out has been all about like basically only performance and immaterial things mm. so I'm kind of ready to like switch modes again and yeah like make some mess and like make some actual objects again sure does that come with the kind of like uh more nomadic or like the more mobile year that you've had like probably yeah probably and then also I had a few shows in a row so I had this feeling of like I get quite there's like kind of a gluttonous feeling when you're working with so many materials that's like you have to own all this stuff, you have to store all this stuff, and you have to have a certain amount of space to do, like, casting or pouring or whatever. Mm. And that feeling is quite, like, icky after a while, and it just becomes, like, I can't deal with having to have all this stuff going on. And, yeah, so then it turns into into just making, like, videos for a period or just making performances. Um yeah, I think they're they're really linked, despite having said that. Like, wanting to be involved in material, um, no matter what that material is. Like, wanting to kind of, like, flex it and, and play with it. What, what did the... You recently did a project at Eastside, Eastside Projects, right, in Birmingham. What was... How did that kind of, like, manifest? Like, what that was, was the... just a... Um, oh, that was a performance. So that was a poem that I'd written and made a recording of, and that was with um, the curatorial group called Shell Like, and they run these um, 
these listening events that invite all kinds of different artists and poets and writers and various various other people who work with sound to make these recordings. And then the listening event is like a quite focused, like sitting down in a room in a gallery usually and kind of having an hour-long session of listening. Um, so that was really great, and all the other artists in the program are like super amazing as well. So the pro, like the the hour was extremely intense and like very um, powerful. So I was happy to be involved in that. But I really like the project basically because I think that that like focus is quite rare curatorially now. Like people are trying to do an event and poetry and paintings and to have just like this is going to be an hour and you have to sit down and you have to kind of you know be involved for that time yeah it's really nice um yes that was just basically one poem that i'd read and then made this this recording of uh, and the poem was something that you had written was it your yeah. own writing your own writing right yeah it was a poem called the greenhouse which was kind of this freaky poem about some futuristic like apocalyptic scenario um and all the other works in the program were also quite like end of the world <laughs> so it was like it fit really nicely but yeah. yeah yeah I mean I guess like as a like um <clears throat> jumping off of that in some ways like it'd be really in- interesting almost as like a to a kind of grounding I suppose to like get a sense of like how the essay like that you've written for us then kind of like relates to like your I guess like wider interests like or research you know rather than it's like a, a, a single little thing mm. that's like this point I, yeah sorry mm. no I yeah think, um, it's funny to talk of it to speak of this particular text as being based in research or interest because it's very clearly like this has come from life like very kind of viscerally yeah yeah I was going to say like I think I need to make a caveat at the beginning of this podcast which is that I had been sort of writing versions of this text and having conversations leading up to it for probably the last two years and then you know kind of thinking about what was it that I was obsessing about this idea of working in three or being in three and how how that is different to other ideas of communal you know group work or couple forms like collaboration between two and I just had this feeling always and I kept coming back to it which was that there is something different about this space in the middle um and what is it? And why do I keep getting drawn into this, these groups of three? And that was like, there was a period where I was in a collaborative art, like artist group of three. I was living with two other people. I was in this romantic intrigue with two other people. And I suddenly was just like in this spin of these scenarios that felt really volatile and really, um, there, it felt like there was no name for them or no scaffolding for like how to deal with one another. Um, when those things started to break down or started to become too intense to to be maintained. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of since I wrote the text or in the period that I was writing it, I ended up 
in basically like long story short in a relationship in which for the first time I could understand monogamy like in a visceral way and I could under like as I was writing it I was really turning away from this idea and yeah. kind of it, I think as I finished it I came to the point where I um I I guess the desire for one person to the exclusion of everyone else became like a really real possibility and it wasn't just a theoretical project anymore. It was like I can understand how um, one person can sustain you for your whole life potentially and that is kind of what marriage and what um, I guess normative couple forms is based in, this idea that someone could sustain you. I think that has sort of shaped shaped my passage through which was like oh if that is a possibility and if that is actually not just like a Disney uh, idea then how does that work in terms of caring communally and how does that work in terms of turning outwards from that romantic couple form um, not necessarily monogamous but definitely like with an understanding of partnership in a pair as opposed to like different forms of love with different people Mm. so that's my caveat about like twos and threes and that's great (laughs) um and that yeah but as I said before that was sort of the jumping off point which was I just kept finding myself self in these trios that were like too Mm. intense to live with and you know and they have gone on kind of for many years in that way and changed forms and you know been like living with a group of people and then making art with them and then maybe having some kind of sexual or romantic intrigue and then, you know, it changes again into a friendship. Um, So that was essentially the starting point for the text and what I was trying to sort of point to with these various various conversations. Right. Um, But, yeah, the the more I told people I was wondering about this, the more I kind of pointed to this starting point, the more I realized that, People were in these groups, in my circles, all the time and weren't necessarily understanding how to deal with them either. And there was a lot of, like, heartbreak and, you know, breakdowns of process that were happening around me. Um, So that was where the dialogues that are in the text um, sort of stemmed from. Mm. Yeah, I, I was interested in that approach of talking about uh, the subject in a way uh, by the majority of the text being constructed through various conversations and I guess in a way like it, it's good to talk uh, it, did it feel like a kind of a, a, a good way of like processing looking back in some respect of like other people's experiences and being able to identify certain sort of uh, behavioral types or things like that or Definitely. And I think that became very clear the more I tried to separate, the more I tried to maintain this idea that it was actually about collaboration and not about romance, the more the categories kept falling into one another. And it became impossible to like make it about artistic collaboration, which is what I expected it to be, because all these people were then having all these overlaps um, in their personal lives. But I was speaking to one of the women who was kind of a major conversation partner and who I had had all kinds of like history with. And I emailed her the text and she wrote back and said, I really like that you've used the X's, but like, 
why do you not have an X or a kind of non um, non-gendered pronoun for the, all the she's because there's a lot of referring to her and she throughout all these dialogues yeah. and I it had not even occurred to me which is really stupid um, but she said I don't know if I want to hide that this is so feminized or yeah. if I'm embarrassed or if I'm kind of I don't know why I have this urge to take out the gendered pronoun mm-hmm. all these in all these um, scenarios that we're describing yeah um and I think then I'm still not sure about what what to do about that because I do agree in one sense, but then on the other hand, I quite like that it's specifically about women just because like I can then close off that that's my area of experience and, and interest. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I do think there are some differences with, for example, um, relationships with people who aren't women and ones who are only with women mm-hmm. and maybe I do think to keep it to that specific to have that specific specificity still kept in even though the names are taken away maybe is useful in some way just to demarcate like what exactly we're talking about mm-hmm. um but I haven't decided so <laughs> it's a really it's a really valid point and it's yeah, I, I, I really like the, the kind of, as you said, like demarcating of uh, identity, but not necessarily gender. You know, this is to talk of a very particular experience, you know, and I think potentially like if, if you were to remove uh, a gender type as well, then maybe it becomes too, I don't know, too displaced in some way or like um yeah i mean i think you're right though it's like and it's really important and useful to kind of like um to make that point that it is gendered yeah and also like quite simply that the circles of people that i was engaging with and was collaborating with were basically all um lesbians and queer women and so that specificity is quite important i think thinking about historically how um, kind of group, like groups of lesbians were often living together and often doing things in groups. And so that, um, I think, feeds into it more. And there's this quite big stereotype about, like, um, you know, moving in straight away, for example, or I don't think I know any, like, two women couples who are both artists who don't collaborate in some way. Like, it's like you, you date... You're collaborating, you're having a show together, you have your podcast together, you have a kid, you have your flat, like everything is like just mashed straight away. And that's like hyper romantic, but also like hyper intense. And it has something very much to do with the social grouping and like how, um, what's acceptable in terms of like how you behave in love or how you behave like with the overlap between um, sleeping with your friends, for example. Um, and that is quite specific to, um, in my experience, like this scene that, uh, or not scene, but these groups of people that I was, that I was interacting with. And there was always this thing of like, you can't, with such a small sort of social group, you can't not be sleeping with the same people and you can't not be like living in these share houses that are like dens of intrigue. And all that is very stereotypical, obviously, and I wouldn't want to, like, promote um, 
this kind of incestuous idea of how it is to be. But I think, especially in London, but also in many other places I've lived, like there is this hyper overlapping of lives that happens. And I think that's what the kind of gendered um, term is speaking to for me anyway. Yeah. It, it it makes me think of that line uh, that really like stands out in the text. Um, I've just got it in my notes. Uh, yeah, how how much of our romantic arrangements are because of built space? Uh, yeah. How would we arrange our lives if rent was not a factor? I mean, you use rent in that context, but also like gender, I suppose, or like yeah. that one line just then pitches a whole kind of series of yeah questions about how kind of systemic and structural societal um, apparatuses as you also use in the text are kind of there in place and if you question them how how if they don't exist in, as they do then how would our relationships look like how would they kind of operate yeah I mean I think I, I pointed very briefly to it because it's almost a whole other project isn't it like this idea of what but I think it does link it does link for me to this idea of um, of productivity in relationships and like this idea of an end point. And I think in one of your notes of the feedback, you said something really useful about wait, I have it here about like um, I don't know, but basically like what is this idea that a relationship that ends um, is a failure and yeah. how is that kind of um, built in with um, with lived space and domestic space and like kind of repro reproductive expectation, um, I was thinking about how, you know, for example, living in a share house after your twenties or thirties is like quite, um, quite unexpected. And I think, or maybe I'm trying to think how best to frame this, like this idea of, um, in, in domestic arrangements, there's always this idea that the end point is going to be a kind of place of your own with one other person or with your children. And that being like the kind of point of all this um, er experimenting or whatever is to kind of like get out and into the next thing. And I think that's really damaging because what it does mean is like if people are in um, I said I wasn't going to say polyamory, so I'm just going to like say it one time. But if you are in these sort of like um, non-normative groupings, where do they live and how do they live? And like how is that arranged if it's not, um, you know, going and living in a commune, for example, like or in a squat maybe. Like those are the only two spaces that I can imagine like that happening. And so you do have to make quite an extreme break to be able to kind of maintain this like relationality with other people that doesn't just make it seem like you're testing things until you find like the end and the exit point. Mm. Um, so that I think was quite related to this idea of built space and like who is living together and how that is a power dynamic in every, in every relationship. Mm -hmm. whose name is on the lease actually like who has the power to kind of invite people in and send them away as well and especially in like in big cities where you have like people who can't afford to move out or who are living in these sort of um sharing space just because they have to rather than because it's a choice 
it becomes even more fraught with kind of potential disaster if you have a breakup and then you can't find somewhere else to live. Mm. Um, I think in London, like, it's quite common. I can think of multiple people who had broken up and then, like, lived in the same bed for a period after that because neither one could afford to move out and like the drama and the kind of like horribleness of having to do that is quite um it's quite telling I guess for sure but also like you know I, I find that kind of I find something so sad about that like thing of like you know um breaking up like living living like this this structure of like Tunis being in this like shared space then then the breakup and they like and and that from that kind of like notion of like failure in in scare quotes it's like they then have to go out into the world again Mm. like there's something so precarious or something maybe about that kind of like yeah movement in and out rather than like Oh, and, and also, like, I don't know, I'm, I'm not sure if that's, like, a question or something, but, like, I think that thing about failure is really, I guess there's two two things that came up for me there, like, one, yeah, this notion of failure, um, which, I, by the way, I think is from Dan Savage, that I got that, yeah. um, who talks loads about, like, just because, of, just because you've broken up, it's like, it could have been a really successful three-month relationship. That like was yeah. only supposed to last three months. Yeah. Like, uh, rather than like seeing every single breakup as just a failure. Mm. Yeah. But because it's a means to an end, it's a means to like stop looking or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Rather than like, oh great, you had a really nice time and fun experiences. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah. It's hard. It's hard to think of that when you are in the breakup, isn't it? Of course. Like, aside from everything, aside from all theory, like, it, you're in this devastating moment and you're yeah. like, I don't give a fuck that it was a successful six-month relationship. Like, <laughs> I'm so upset about this and I thought that this is going to be, um, you know, forever and ever and ever maybe or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, of course, like. But, but then I guess there's a diff. you know, I suppose like in an ideal world, like, again, this is like obviously like, hyper-rationalizing it that's in a slightly absurd way but like it's kind of it's unfortunate how those two things get so entangled like the trauma of loss like losing that person and the sadness around around that and notion of like oh fuck i'm on my own now again like um i thought i could i thought i could give up like I thought I'd I thought mm. I'd stopped being on my own mm. and now I'm just on my own again. Yeah. Like it's a shame that those two things get so messy. Yeah. And I think I was gonna say also before in terms of thinking about like living together and having to move out and this like, oh god, I'm out in the world in the cold again, that's sort of when the other structures, the relational structures that have been there all the time and have been sustaining like this supposed um, partnership, yeah, come very much to the fore, and it's it's all it's almost a hierarchy of like, well, if we break up, like who is going to like be able to stay indefinitely 
at a friend's house or at another lover's house or, you know, who has that kind of social power almost of having the other network to sustain, you know, them in terms of affection and care and all these kinds of things. Um, and who doesn't? And that can be quite extreme and can come out in quite extreme ways at the end of a relationship, especially when those hierarchies have been hidden by the couple's form. And the, the, the kind of like the, the cutting off or loss of the other half's community, family, friends, that, that kind of uh, secondary loss, you know, like you, you lose your partner, but you lose that kind of, uh, that wider network of people that you've come to associate with and know over time, but also a material loss, things that represent a kind of, uh, 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 an image of stability or power, like uh, some sort of like authority in some way. So like both having to leave the house or whatever, both having to leave that kind of demarcated zone of protection, if you like, you know. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. I'll get it. Someone's just knocked at the door. <laughs> They're just collecting posts. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I suppose that those losses are multiple and multifaceted, I guess. Um, as a, as a kind of like going back to Sam's point on the, the precariousness or the fragility of it. But yeah, yeah. And I think that um, also links back to like this thing that I'm thinking about in the text, which is um, being the third in a relationship and how do you like, obviously in a kind of romantic Trio, you always know if you're the third like almost always there is one person who is very much like the third factor and there's no real way of naming how that works but I think it's just inherently built into the structure and then whether or not that's different in a kind of non-sexual non-romantic um, collaborative relationship where ideally you're kind of three people who have come together as individuals to, to do something together and to, to work together or live together or, you know, whatever kind of thing it might be. And despite those two frameworks seeming to be different, um, this imbalance that then usually occurs as it breaks down. I mean, obviously, I'm speaking completely, like, um, specifically about certain moments and obviously these can work really well and people live in great like romantic threesomes and you know collaborate between three people in lovely great ways but I guess I'm only I only care about this fucked up moment when it doesn't work and like what how the pattern of that behavior can happen and what it sort of feels like to to all of a sudden be like the third one in in this group as I also said in the text, the way that it often works is that a relationship between two becomes so much stronger that it almost eclipses what was this harmonious um, collaboration and why that happens, how it happens, and how people kind of deal with it and like what the what the aftermath is, for example, when um, a group turns into two people and one person, like how you break that and how you do that in like a kind of ethical and not really traumatic way for everyone involved, which I have no answers for, but that, I guess, is, like, just something I had seen happening again and again. And then 
these conversations and the dialogue parts in the text were kind of me being able to ventriloquize um, different people who had kind of laid out the same the same frameworks of how things had broken down and also in my own experience how things had broken down and like what it feels like to be each each side of that equation I guess yeah yeah because you, you talk about being in the in the golden uh mm-hmm. relationship or I don't know if that's your quite exact wording but yeah, be, yeah being in the kind of where the the where the uh kind of uh where the action's happening where, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and then also being on the the kind of uh the one the the singular or the marginalized um mm-hmm. yeah it's a really like I think this is kind of like the most interesting crux of like the whole piece, like this sticky kind of shifting role, I suppose, of of the third, both as like going yeah. back to your reference as the apparatus, like both can be a kind of like destabilizing agent in the dynamic, but yet uh, can also be a kind of like I don't know it it's it's like really problematic to say like the term like vessel or like yeah. like you use window you know like it's to to kind of like be channeled through in some form it's like really problematic to kind of consider somebody like a, a person well, it in feels that so kind of dynamic. potentially violent it's so violent yeah, yeah. No? like and yeah there, I think there is this really violent moment that came up quite often um in these conversations which was people kind of remembering and this is specifically like being um a third for a couple or a third with a couple um which is this moment where no matter how long you stay at the in the house or in the relationship or in the bed or in the studio or whatever with these two people there's always this moment where the air kind of shifts and then it's like that's your cue to leave mm. and then there you are like kind of riding your bike home in the rain like going back to your own your own singular space mm. and that is the moment where everything sort of breaks and all of the all of the supposedly supposed equality that has been built can kind of come tumbling down in that moment of like you know we live here and you don't live here or we are actually you know the two people who asked who started this and you're just a contractor or something mm-hmm. like and I think I was not I was trying to think of the window as like less of a um less of saying someone's a vessel or an apparatus but like thinking through if um if the couple form is here to stay at least for this moment like how can that view and that quite like lovely often view of like looking at the other person being very in love and caring so much if like if this person specifically lives or dies and like that being the kind of central point how then to turn that kind of gaze outwards and perhaps the third person being being the opening of that turning outwards yeah. or something like it being the first step in being able to kind of imagine a communal form um yeah. and being like this kind of midpoint between going like straight from um coupledom to like a communal living situation or a communal working or whatever um 
but not so much as being a vessel just for your own pleasure or your own use value, but actually being like what we're building towards is a state where everything is looking outwards and that kind of like romantic, um, the gaze that you give the beloved, the forgiving gaze can actually be kind of um, expanded and multiplied into different and larger configurations. So I do th- I do hope to be hopeful at the end and not just be like, this is this unworkable situation. Because I think it's very workable and it's very generative of, not just generative in terms of productivity, but generative in terms of like how to imagine what um, communal care, for example, would look like. Um, there's something that I've seen happen with people that I've known, which is that at a certain point in in maybe dating, like the more you're dating, the more you're capable of actually maintaining all your relationships, including with friends, with this like very high level of care and not exclusion. So basically like, you know, you're saying, well, I was single or whatever, or I was not in a relationship for five years and then and so I know how much, like you can see quite visibly how much um, those networks are in your life and you can really value them and like feed them in the appropriate way and not expect there to be some kind of um, immediate give and take. And so then when, if you do end up in a romantic like kind of uh, relationship, you still treat every relationship with that kind of romance and with that kind of like, understanding maybe it's just like growing up you just understand that like this care needs to be given regardless of of everything because you have relied on that like to sustain you for a period Another aspect that I really thrived off that, like, I think feels appropriate here in some ways, too, in the text was, like, this notion of, like, it kind of being both really useful to talk about this stuff in terms, like, the, really early on, you talk about this tension between, like, um, you know, it both being about much wider societal issues and at the same time it being kind of um not that useful to try and make a general ethics out of like that it is about threes and like and even perhaps more specifically from from what you were saying earlier it's like about threes and threes of women too yeah because i think like which is that kind of attends that as well Sorry, say that again? Just the overlap that attends that that three grouping, the, the overlap between, you know, platonic and romantic or d- domestic and collaborative or whatever it might be, like that sort of being the central point. But, yeah, it is it is tempting always to be like, well, this is then the metaphor for, like, mm-hmm. everything that is a problem. And I think especially when talking about care, it's 
it's quite easy to talk a lot about it, but really, like when it comes down to it, these are things that, as I think in one of your feedback points, you said, like people have been doing this forever and ever. People have been in like non-normative structures forever and ever, and not it's not like this is the beginning of the end of like monogamy and marriage, but like just that, I guess, where is it being pointed to? And where is that kind of scaffolding being built for those things being recognized as what they are and what they always have been, which is like familial structures of sort of reproducing life maybe. And like that, that is like a very basic point. Um, and I think it comes up somewhere in the, in the dialogue as well, which is that someone I know said, well, like, is it really about whose family and whose kid this is or whose partner this is? Or is it actually about like, who would you go to hospital for and who would you actually like do the, the action of care for and with? Um, and that being a better marking than any kind of, uh, structured name that can be given. And I think that's kind of a big problem with, I, I mean, <laughs> I am like no expert and I have kind of no means to talk about this, um, about polyamory, but I think often it's a lot of names and not much actual, like not much backing it up, you know, like you can name and structure and you can divide your time, uh, in this really even way, but unfortunately life does not really respect that boundary of like today's Wednesday, it's your day, like, mm-hmm. you know. It's it's very few people who are in a very privileged position who can actually live like that, who can actually sort of afford to divide their time in such a way. Um, because for most people, it's like whoever is in need is the one who's getting the can, or whoever's in need of this is going to get this just because we live in this reciprocal relationship where, like, I would give you whatever I had, Um because I, you know, because that's how we have to live and that's how we have to kind of um, rely on one another or something. So this whole thing of, like, the hospital, I think, speaks to, like, when everything breaks down and there's no way of, you know, like, your your current partner's ex, who's, like, the, the mother of your child, who is that to you in from the outside world? That's just someone but in terms of a family, that's actually like a really significant person to you who you're probably going to give your time and energy and affection to just because just because you have to. So that was quite long winded. But I guess just the main point being like what are the things that can be named and what are the things that just kind of have to happen? And that there's no there's no argument about who is what to who. Well, I was thinking about this in like your like it's one of the first lines in the in the piece. You have this thing of like you you know you want to tell the lost story of threes, um, and this, like this the story of how difficult it is to maintain a group of three, and like I really, in some way, like because it's because this is like my nature like when we like opened up when in my previous relationship when we opened it out i like went and read a ton of like non-monogamy manuals and like because i was like oh shit like i have no scaffolding for this i don't know what this 
how this works. Like, I need some scaffolding. Um, but like, found all of that to be so cold. Like, I actually find like your your piece in some ways works as like a really useful kind of like. Obviously, it's not a manual, but it's like a it's a even just because it's like gives some degree of a window onto like the psychics, the many psychic spaces that are going to exist in that, in that three, like being inside the relationship of like collapsing back into a couple and suddenly like how you feel about that, the other per the this third in, and, and then also like just being a third being and being the one that's like ousted or like whether that's on a massive level or like you say at the end of the, the time you've hung out and you're just cycling home on your own or something mm. it's like yeah i didn't my biggest issue with all of those manuals was this notion of like of trying so desperately to like demarcate a really hyper rational structure for like let's make sure this works so that no one's getting hurt like this notion of ethical non-monogamy yeah it's a lie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't rewrite those manuals. Did you? <laughs> I didn't say that, I didn't think, but... <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um... That can be a subhead, right? <laughs> That'll be our strap line. <laughs> to sell the book. Like, if people, if people, if it's working for people, then I'm glad. But my whole point is, like, where it doesn't work, which is, like, a lot of the time. And I think, for me... Sorry? That's a lost story. Yeah. Yeah, and that is a lost story. And also just this kind of extreme naivety of being like, oh, I don't know how this happened, but I'm, we opened our relationship and now my boyfriend's in love with someone else. Like, it's like, yes, you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I think the main, aside from all this whatever, but like I think the main problem I have with, with the dialogue around non-monogamy and this kind of um, very pious idea of, of how it should be and how people sh should be able to relate to one another is that it reflects the logic of the market we live in, which is that more is always better. Like if one partner's good, then two or three must be excellent. And I think that for me is like the real sticking point where um, it comes from this this period of feeling or this state of feeling hyper-employed and needing to use all your time with the with the highest yield benefit right so like I'm not just having a personality I'm having a personality so that I can have this this capital come in um, and that is really like the underlying logic of a lot of a lot of these discourses and a lot of the self-help books about it um, is like why not just have everything like why pick one thing why not just have everything ever all the time and that yeah that is for me the big problem um and I, ha I have this friend who was in a relationship with a man and she for ages he was like I want to be open I'm not like I can't be monogamous blah blah and she's like okay in the end fine we can be in an open relationship but my rule is I can break up with you whenever it hurts my feet like whenever it's not working for me and that is so obvious, but also so hilarious to be like, oh, yeah, we actually are allowed to just say no to that. Like, you, I can say we're open, but then I can also just break up with you if 
I don't want to do it anymore. And that was this guy was just so shocked by that, like being the response that it just sort of, it drew everything into a different direction because it's like you forget that actually you do have that autonomy to just break up or just like not do it the way you're supposed to be doing it and that nobody has any like real reason to follow the rules and like you can't help not following the rules and all these things. that I guess I wanted to hear what you thought or something that I sort of raised in the text that I didn't sort of go into that much was this thing of um, what happens with what happens at a border situation for example like what happens when what we've been doing naturally or what kind of seems to come without words is um, subject to the eye of an institution or the state or whatever it might be. And this could be as simple as like trying to get two people's names on a show. Like if you're an artist, like often institutions don't like that you say, well, actually 700 different people did different things in this show. Like essentially what happens to these threes or to these groups when you need to justify yourself to a higher power or to some kind of structure that can't fit um, different ways of being into its, like, structure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, often, I guess, like, people collaboratively work and will wrap, wrap a name around it, right, rather than, you know, if, it, if it's more than two, then it's it's a... It's a brand or a, a kind of for sure, but it makes me think of the, of like even beyond that in terms of like who we're who we're including in the we in what in a we <laughs> like um and like the the function of the of the we as like a as a like a unifying force that like that kind of at least has the potential to. Um, iron out difference. Mm. It's like so. There's very you know. There's like at least just in terms of like both in terms of a couple. Like you know, oh, we like this mm-hmm. makes like uh, some kind of like unified statement that feels all always feels kind of absurd. But the, yeah, the statement to to what I suppose uh, or like uh, to what. A governing institution or context that is in, you know, you know, you because you can't just sort of draw a line or a shape around. Well, actually, it's it's me, it's this person, this person, and sometimes this person actually that represents this formation of this relationship. To be honest, and mm. but it's having to kind of as like iron out kind of the creases in order to make that statement to whatever governing structure yeah you know for purposes of them being recognized or acknowledged or granting access to certain privileges um it feels like it's like almost just an in it's like a i don't i don't know how i just don't know how you get a, around that 
it's just like feels like a tension that's just like always going to be there particularly in terms of like you know like you talk about this notion of like of kind of like non non-productive like waste like relationships is like and like these non-productive like it doesn't not everything doesn't have to come down to something being productive but like there's there's still then a necessity i feel like there is still then a necessity to like to somehow be able to talk about that relationship Mm. it's like there's an inherent tension there where you're like by talking about it you're like making it productive in some way yeah but you kind of need to do that in order for people to know that such things it's like even talking about threes you know like you kind of talk about this like what Maybe this isn't even something that should be like brought into the light. It's, yeah. It should be like an inherently hidden sub thing of like that's 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 because it's been going on forever, but it's like below the state. Mm. But there's I the idea of just never talking about it. Like I think that's a good idea. <laughs> I think like we should just revoke this conversation. And just be like, actually Actually, this content has been uh, redacted. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's. I mean, I really, I really agree because I really do want to try as much as possible to like deproductivize everything in my life, like everything in my life, everything in everyone's life, like, and it's really like obviously I fail all the time and it's really difficult, but. Um, I think this, the real thing that I find annoying and like, is that the things that are seen as entertainment as a break on the way to like what is normal, like something that's seen as an experiment on the side as opposed to just like a constant passage of happening. Um, those things that are sort of maligned for that reason of just being you know, maybe they're a failure or maybe it's like just for a little while or maybe it's just, you know, whatever it is to stop this idea of that thing being a way station and something that doesn't need to be talked about because it's just temporary or it's just like it's not as meaningful as what is the structured kind of um, framework. So both of those things are kind of like in opposition with one another. Um because, yeah, I agree that naming it is obviously immediately making it a productive, like, terminology. Um, but also how how can all these people be having sort of the same experience again and again and again and feeling like they're the first person to fail at this thing where, when it's been failing and failing and failing? And maybe it's not actually failure. Maybe it's just that that, um, that is how it is. And that is its function is to not continue and to be like a really intense. I think what I haven't really foregrounded in all this talk of like trauma and breakdown and things not working is like when it is working, it's like the reason people do it is because it's really good when it's working and it seems to solve a lot of the problems of, you know, a structured format and like having two other people bouncing off you and then bouncing with each other as well, creates this amazing, like, vibratory 
uh, feeling of communion and it can really like be a, be an excellent way to like it's a great way to feel you know and it's a great kind of way to work while it's working and while everyone is really on track with one another's desires and thoughts and and politics so I guess yeah this whole thing of failure is just circling round and round about like I think at the end we were talking about like what what is a like what is a failure and like um what yeah what does it mean for something to have stopped working um when it had been working really well to begin with i think at some point one of you said like um at the end perhaps there could be a, a note on like the impossibility of a takeaway from this whole thing and i think that is quite important to the idea of failure like if there's no concluding statement if there's no end to this like kind of circling around and around like what happens does it just keep going and keep generating and like maybe that's maybe that's what it should do